This is a picture of my dad meeting the Queen. I showed this a few months ago, but this is a picture of my dad meeting the Queen way back in 1983. And you can see that both the Queen and my dad looked much younger then, a long time ago. My dad served as a customs officer all his life, and 1983 was the 300th anniversary of Charles II, uh, or Charles, the, uh, Charles II establishing the Board of Excise, the kind of forerunner to modern uh, HM Customs and Excise, and now what is HMRC, I guess. And he was asked to meet the Queen as part of a special event to, sem- to commemorate the special 300th anniversary at the headquarters in London. And somebody from each part of what, is, what was then Her Majesty's Customs and Excise was asked to represent their kind of section, the different parts of work that the department did, and explain their work to Her Majesty. And at the time, my dad was uh, head of a road fuel fraud team in the south of England, so he had to explain what his teams did, and he had three minutes to do it. So he had to rehearse all his lines and get it all kind of down and pat and make sure it was all sorted. And so as you can imagine, there was lots of planning that went on to make sure that they got this right, that it was all just as it was meant to be, and it was all running smoothly, and they had to learn their lines and memorize their lines. Can you imagine messing up your lines, your one-in-a-lifetime chance before the Queen? That would be a disaster, wouldn't it? And a few days before the actual visit of the Queen, one of the top female board members of Customs and Excise played the role of the Queen in a dress rehearsal. So this lady came round and they kind of did it all exactly as it would be, and she pretended to be the Queen, and then each officer had to deliver their lines to this uh, lady pretending to be the Queen and make sure they got them word perfect. If there's any mess-ups, they could kind of have a, a run-through and get them right. And then a few days later, the actual event took place. And my dad, along with all the other staff, got to meet the Queen herself and then deliver their presentations and have their pictures taken. And as you can imagine, this picture has pride of place in my parents' house. It had pride of place in my grandparents' house and when they were still alive. There's not many people out of the whole population that have actually met the Queen and especially not to talk for three minutes about their work. So it was a kind of a big deal. It was a massive honor and a lifetime uh, kind of achievement for my dad. But can you imagine, can you imagine if despite receiving all these instructions to prepare to meet the Queen, my dad had just made do with meeting the lady in the rehearsal? Imagine if he'd just gone home and not, not bothered coming back for the actual arrival of the Queen a few days later. The lady uh, who was playing the Queen was one of the top officers in customs. She was really important and I'm sure she was a lovely person, but she wasn't the Queen. In fact, she wasn't remotely like the Queen. She was just a pale imitation, just an actor playing her part. She was one of the Queen's subjects who herself should have been bowing to the Queen. So it would have made no sense whatsoever if they had done the dress rehearsal and my dad, along with all the other guys, had just kind of gone off home and then left it at that. That would have been crazy, wouldn't it? That would have been utterly crazy just to have done that. And yet, and yet, that is exactly what we tend to do sometimes when it comes to Jesus. We are invited, in fact, we're commanded to worship Jesus and to worship him alone. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. But so often in life, what we end up doing, we end up settling for something less or someone less than Jesus. We end up focusing on things and people other than Jesus. We settle for worshipping and focusing on things and people that he's created rather than worshipping the creator himself. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us was made in God's image and we were created to worship him. We're wired to worship. Within each human being there is a, a desire to worship something or someone greater than themselves. And we all worship something. We all worship somebody. 
Human beings are worshippers. The question is, who or what do we worship? Who do you worship? What do you worship? We all worship somebody. We're designed to worship. Are we worshipping Jesus or are we worshipping someone else or something else? Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was, of course, a worshipper of Jesus. She made no secret of the fact that she had put her faith and trust at some point in her life in Jesus as her saviour and her Lord and lived to serve him. And isn't it great to know this morning that the Queen has gone to meet the King of Kings? The Queen right now will be worshipping the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Last week here at Regent, we started a new series working our way through a book of the Bible called Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible. And the book of Hebrews is all about encouraging people who follow Jesus to really make sure they just focus on him and worship him. It's really, you could kind of give it the title, Jesus is Supreme. It was written sometime before 70 AD to Jews who'd become Christians. But then as we heard last week, these Jewish Christians were under lots of pressure from other members of their family and their kind of work colleagues and so on who were Jews but weren't Christians to no longer worship Jesus. They were kind of under pressure to go back to their old Jewish faith, to to turn away from Jesus. They were under pressure to stop worshipping Jesus as the Messiah, the, the special king that God right throughout the Old Testament of the Bible had been promising would come and instead to go back to their old Jewish practices. And and this book was written to encourage these Jewish Christians to stay true to Jesus, to focus on him, to worship him alone, and to live for him and serve him. But it was also written, especially chapter 1, to challenge some wrong beliefs that had kind of crept into these Jewish Christian communities, these early churches, around the worship of angels. And, And it seems that some of them had become more interested in angels than they were in Jesus. Now, the Bible is full of angels, full of references to angels. All the way throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, we, we read about angels serving God and bringing messages to God's people. That's one of the things that angels are, according to the Bible. They're God's messengers. And in the New Testament, we read about the angels announcing to Mary and Joseph the birth of Jesus. Probably lots of you this Christmas will get Christmas cards, which will have a picture of an angel on speaking to Mary or Joseph. It's kind of part of our culture, isn't it? Our kind of narrative. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was an angel who announced the fact that he'd risen from the dead to Mary, who went first to see him at the tomb. So angels are right throughout the Bible, and they're really important, and they're absolutely fascinating. But they're not Jesus. Angels are not Jesus. Focusing on angels instead of focusing on Jesus or or, or even worshipping angels, would be as stupid as my dad meeting the lady from the Board of Customs and Excise and then deciding not to bother with the Queen. And that's what the first chapter of this book of Hebrews is all about. That's what it deals with. It's about challenging and correcting these Jewish Christians who were focusing a little bit too much on angels, interesting though they are, full of uh, stuff in the Bible though they are, they were focusing on angels instead of focusing on Jesus. So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 1. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn if you want, or you can just listen. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read the first four verses that we read last week. It's a bit of a recap, and go through to chapter 2, verse 4. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn, we're in Hebrews chapter two, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 4 of chapter 2. You can just listen if you want as I read it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says he makes his angels spirits, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, that's Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they'll be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Last week, we looked at the first four chapters of chapter one, and we discovered the following things. And by the way, there's an outline in your seat, and pretty much everything that we're looking at today will be on there, and it'll be up on the screen as well. And there's some things if you want to fill in, and there should be a pen in the back of the seat. If you find that helpful, it's there. If you don't, just ignore it. That's fine. All the key points we're going to look at are going to be on the screen. So here's very briefly what we discovered last week. Firstly, God has spoken to us in the past through the prophets, the, the, the writers of the Old Testament, and even sometimes through the angels. But now he's spoken to humanity, to this whole world, through his son, Jesus. We have God the Father, we've got God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, God uh, together. And, and God the Son has always existed alongside the Father and the Spirit. But the, but the one who's always existed alongside the Father and the Spirit became a human being at some at one point in history, 2,000 years ago, the one who was eternal stepped into history, became a human being, and took on the name Jesus. God the Son had always existed in heaven alongside the Father and Spirit, but 2,000 years ago, he became a baby there at Bethlehem. And that baby was given the name Jesus, and that baby grew to become a man, and 30 or so years later, he died on the cross for all the wrong things you've ever done and all the wrong things I have ever done. God the Father punished God the Son, Jesus, in your place and in my place so that all our sins could be dealt with, all our sins could be forgiven. And the very thing that got in the, got in the way of us and having a relationship with God, which is our sins, could be removed so that we could have an eternal relationship with God. God became a real human being in the person of Jesus. He was exactly like you and me, except that he was perfect and never sinned. We also saw that Jesus, God the Son, created and sustains the universe. It was God the Son who spoke and the whole universe came into being just as he spoke. And he continues to uphold it 
and to keep it going. We saw that Jesus, God the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. If we want to encounter God's glory and goodness and love, then we look at the person of Jesus. And we saw that Jesus, God the Son, is the exact representation of God the Father. If you want to know what God is like, then look at the life, the actions, the teachings, the words of Jesus. Because we see in Jesus the heart of God revealed. We see God revealed as he becomes a human being on earth. And we saw that Jesus, God the Son, provided a solution for all those wrong things that we've done, our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve. And that means that we can have our sins forgiven. It means that we can have a relationship with God. It means we can receive eternal life if we put our faith and our trust in him and surrender our lives to him. And having provided that amazing solution for our sins, what the Bible calls salvation, he returned to heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of God in that highest place of honor. And so having listed all these amazing things about Jesus, the writer then says in verse 4, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is superior to theirs. Now God the Son was always superior to the angels. He, he was and is God, so of course he's superior to the angels. But the human being that God the Son became, the man that we call Jesus, was as a man inferior to the angels because he was confined to just being a man, even though he never ceased to be God. Difficult to understand, I know. But because he lived that perfect human life, died the perfect death, and rose again and conquered death, his humanity, his humanness has been raised, the Bible says, to the highest level. And so right now there is a man in heaven seated at God's right hand, a man who never ceased to be God, but the man who's now been given the highest throne. And so as a human being, he's become superior to the angels that he humbled himself below. And the name that he's inherited, the special name of God, Yahweh, which simply means that God is self-existent and, and eternal, this is the name he has inherited. And this name is obviously superior to the angels because God is superior to the angels. God is self-existent and eternal. So if all this is true about Jesus, then why on earth would some of these Jewish Christians in that first century, only a few years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, why on earth would they be worshipping angels instead of worshipping Jesus? Why would they be focusing on angels, obsessing and getting kind of obsessed with angels rather than just focusing on Jesus. Why would they do that? It makes no sense, does it? And yet that's what they were doing and it's what we sometimes do as well. We focus on the wrong things, we worship the wrong things, we worship the wrong people. Now, angels are pretty cool. If you look at some of the information about angels, they're pretty cool, they're interesting, it's fascinating and in fact according to the Bible they're amazing. So I think it would be good just to look a little bit, what does the Bible actually tell us about angels? Who are these angels? What do they do? Most of us probably have a kind of image like this, kind of Christmas card, or this is, I guess, from a cemetery, something like this. But that kind of image probably has more to do with medieval art than the reality of the Bible. So what does the Bible then tell us about angels? Try and kind of erase that from your mind. What does the Bible tell us about angels? Well, firstly, they were created by God the Son, the man who, the, the God who became Jesus when he created the universe. The Bible says this, for in him, that's Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, that includes the angels, and on earth, visible and in, invisible, that's the angels again, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So angels are created beings. They haven't always existed like God. They were created when God created the universe. They were created by God and they were created for God. Secondly, there are millions and millions and millions of angels, probably billions of them. The Bible says this, 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's an awful lot of angels. I got to see it, GCSE Mass. I don't know how much that is, but it's a lot. Okay, it's an awful lot of angels, probably millions and millions, billions of them. Thirdly, angels are sinless and they worship and they serve God. The Bible says this, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Fourthly, angels are spirit beings who sometimes appear when they come on earth. And we see this in the Bible as kind of superhumans. This is what the Bible says happened when Jesus rose from the dead. This is what, it, this is what we, we read. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. But angels don't always, in fact, rarely, I think, appear as kind of superhuman figures. According to the Bible, when we encounter them, they mostly take on the appearance of just regular human beings. And according to the Bible, we could easily meet an angel and encounter an angel without ever even realizing it. Hebrews 13, a little bit later on in this book, he, the, the, the writer says this, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So you may have met an angel and you didn't even know it. Angels not only serve God, but they serve those who trust in Jesus. Verse 14 of today's passage says this, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? In other words, those who've trusted in Jesus. So we shouldn't be focusing on angels and we definitely shouldn't be worshiping them because they're actually sent to serve us, not the other way around. And in fact, the Bible expressly forbids the worship of angels. When the Apostle John has a vision from God of what's going to happen in the future, it's called the book of Revelation, he sees an angel in his vision, and this is what happens. John writes this down. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And although it's not all that we could say about angels, there's lots more in the Bible, but, but the last point is that amazingly, those who have trusted in Jesus will judge the angels when Jesus comes to rule and reign again in the future. The Bible, speaking about those who've trusted in Jesus and surrendered their lives to him, says this, do you not know that we will judge the angels? That is, if you've trusted in Jesus this morning, that's part of our future is to have this amazing role of judging the angels. So angels are amazing. They're fascinating. They do amazing things, mostly uh, without us even realizing it or being aware of it. Angels will have been involved in your life all the time without you even knowing about it, according to the Bible. They're active all around us uh, if, if, if we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But angels are not Jesus. They announce that Jesus is being born. They announce that he's risen from the dead. They even announce when Jesus returns to heaven, they, they say, why are you looking up here? He's going to come back the same way as he came. They're involved in all these great things but they're not Jesus. And the rest of this passage is all about proving that. And what the writer does is he quotes lots of verses from the Old Testament, uh, which the people who were reading this book would have been familiar with because they were Jewish. These Jewish Christians would have known these verses well. And these passages are all about the Messiah, a special king that God had promised through the prophets and through angels that would come to the Jewish people. And when Jesus came into the world, he said, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. Messiah and Christ just mean the same thing. Messiah is Hebrew, Christ is just the Greek equivalent. Jesus said, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ. And the Bible claims that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And so these verses show that Jesus is not only superior to the angels, actually he's God. God come as a man 
but now seated on his throne in heaven, and as such he deserves all our worship, not just some of it. In verse 5, quoting from several Old Testament passages at once, he says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. God the Father doesn't have this special and unique eternal relationship with the angels. It's only God the Son, Jesus, that he has this father-son special relationship with. In verse 6, quoting from the Old Testament, he writes, And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Not only does Jesus, God the Son, have this special and unique father-son relationship with God the Father, God the Father actually commands the angels to worship Jesus, his Son. In verse 7, quoting from two different Psalms in the Old Testament, the writer says this, In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, that's Jesus, your, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. God has created the angels as spirit beings, and they're his servants, and they're amazing beings. But God the Father has given Jesus, God the Son, a throne that will last forever. Jesus is going to rule and reign for all eternity, and those that have accepted him and put their trust in him throughout history will then be with him forever. And notice something really, really important here. This is God speaking, and yet he addresses God the Son, Jesus, as God. God refers to Jesus as God. He says, your throne, O God. And yet this is God speaking. So Jesus is God. God announces that Jesus is God. So Jesus isn't just a really great man who became a God, or is just somebody we should take notice of and kind of listen to, a kind of cool guy from history. Jesus has always been God, the God who took on human flesh and blood to rescue human beings and lift us up to heaven where he now reigns. This is part of the mystery of what the Bible calls, or what we call in the Bible, the Holy Trinity. There is one God, and the Bible is absolutely black and white on this. There is only one God, and yet this one God has three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each one fully God, and yet each one a distinct person within this eternal divine existence. Difficult to get our heads around. I know I certainly struggle to do so, but it's true nonetheless according to the Bible. Then the writer says, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Here we have God the Father again speaking to his one and only son. This was written about a thousand years before this even happened, but kind of looking ahead and, and prophesying what would happen, promising that he would make his enemies a footstool that he can rest his feet on. It's a picture of the way in which when Jesus comes again, all those who have rejected Jesus throughout history will be forced to bow down and acknowledge who he is. They won't want to, they will forever reject him, but they will be forced to bow down and acknowledge that Jesus is king. And that's something that the angels will never experience, amazing though they are. So why on earth would anybody focus on angels at the expense of Jesus? Why on earth would anybody worship angels? other than Jesus. It's, it's illogical, it makes no sense, and ultimately it's sinful because only Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Only Jesus is God. So write this on your outline. Jesus is greater than the angels. Make no mistake, never, never confuse the two. Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is God. And Jesus is greater than anything else or, or anyone else he's created as well. Look at verses 10 to 12. The author of Hebrews writes this. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. 
You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. This again is a quote from the Old Testament, one of the Psalms in the Old Testament, but referring to Jesus. It is Jesus who has created the heavens and the earth, everything that we see around us. But one day, according to the Bible, Jesus will bring this world to an end. And the Bible says he will then create a new heaven and a new earth, one that will be absent from any sin. There'll be no sin and all the rubbish and, and junk and destruction that sin causes in this world will be gone because Jesus will bring this world to an end and will create a new heaven and a new earth, one without sin, one which is inhabited by those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. And this physical creation that we see around us right now that we live in, that we often think is beautiful and wonderful, this physical creation is on borrowed time. A clock is ticking for this world. But it won't be climate change, it won't be nuclear war or anything else that will bring this war to an end. It will be Jesus. We don't need to stress and panic about this world ending through climate change or, or nuclear war or anything else because it's Jesus who's going to bring this world to an end. Nothing else is going to ruin this world. Jesus is going to say, time is up, this world is over. It's Jesus. He will roll this whole creation up like a robe or a piece of clothing that will be changed. But he, on the other hand, will remain forever. Jesus is eternal and his creation belongs to him. So Jesus is greater than his creation. Write that on your outline. Jesus is greater than what we see around us. As magnificent as creation is, it's only a pale picture of the magnificence of God. And one day Jesus will bring it all to an end and create a new world without any sin. It's not only angels that people have been and perhaps still are sometimes tempted to focus on more than Jesus or, or to worship instead of Jesus. It's the created world that Jesus made. Some people worship the created world rather than worshiping Jesus. Now, now, don't get me wrong, we should absolutely care for God's creation. We should do whatever we can to look after it, to avoid polluting it, to make sure we use its resources well. But when God's creation becomes more important to us than the creator, we've missed the point. And when we allow ourselves to be spooked by apocalyptic predictions about the fate of the world, rather than trusting in what Jesus says when he says that he will bring this world to an end, and we've missed the point. The Bible says that people have been doing this ever since creation, ever since Adam and Eve, in fact, sinned. That the, the Apostle Paul writes these words in the Bible, speaking about humanity as a whole, and we're all included in this. He says this, they, that's us, exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. As human beings, we are so prone to focus on people or things that God has created rather than God himself. And, and even worship things or people other than God. And, and even if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus and surrendered our lives to him, we can find ourselves, like the people of the, this book of Hebrews was originally written for, drifting away from him. The writer says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, in other words, all that we've just heard about Jesus, so that we do not drift away. The people this book was written for had trusted in Jesus, but they were beginning to kind of take their eyes off him and, and, and just drift away. And they were focusing on the wrong things, angels and creation, in, in their case, for starters. And we can find ourselves doing exactly the same kind of thing. So easy for us to take our eyes off Jesus and start focusing on things or start focusing on people other than him, maybe even creation or maybe even the angels. For us, it might more likely be perhaps a person or a relationship. It might be our career, it might be our finances, 
could be politics, it might even be the royal family. We can make an idol or a god out of these things. It, it might be our status, it might be our house, it could be anything. For each of us, we'll be kind of drawn to different things instead of being drawn to Jesus. For those of us this morning who have at some point in our life accepted Jesus as, as our Lord and our Savior and put our trust in him, are we still focusing on him every day? Are we focused on Jesus at the exclusion of everything else? It's okay to have other stuff in our lives, husbands, wives, children, parents, jobs, careers, all that kind of stuff's totally fine as long as it's in its right place with Jesus as number one and everything else in two, three, four, five, and six, and so on. Are we still focused on him? Are we still worshiping him alone? It may be this morning that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and maybe a lot of what I said this morning is completely new to you, maybe even sounds a little bit weird. If, if that's the case, then I'd love to chat with you further. I'd love to talk with you more about uh, what we said this morning. And I'll be here afterwards, so do come and chat with me. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to share with you more about Jesus and what the Bible says. Because it's so important that we grapple with who Jesus claims to be and who the Bible says Jesus is. And who we worship is so important. Every single one of us here this morning is worshipping something or someone because God created us to be worshipping beings. The question is, who or what do we worship? And if we ignore Jesus, if we don't worship Jesus, then we have to listen to the words of verse 2. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? What is this salvation? Well, it's God's love for us, demonstrated in sending his one and only son, Jesus, to come and die on the cross to take our place, to take the punishment from God the Father for all our mess-ups, all our screw-ups, all those stuff that we're ashamed of, all the things that we don't want anyone else to know about. So that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, all of that is cleaned and washed away, and we get this wonderful, amazing, awesome relationship with Jesus. We can have our sins forgiven, have an eternal relationship with God, and spend eternity with him. If we ignore this great salvation, this great salvation that he offers to us this morning, then when Jesus comes again, he will reject us. He will ignore us. And we'll face all of eternity in what the Bible calls hell, a place of eternal separation from God and all that's good. So who or what are you worshipping this morning? Who do you worship? What do you worship? Will you worship Jesus and only Jesus? Just take a few moments to pause and, and reflect this morning on what we've looked at this morning and, and maybe just what you sense the Holy Spirit is kind of saying to you today. Just maybe just bow our heads. If you're comfortable doing that, you can just bow your head, close your, close your eyes. And then we just have a few moments of quiet and just to reflect on what is God saying? Where does Jesus fit in my life? Who am I worshipping? What am I worshipping? If you're a follower of Jesus but you've drifted away from him this morning then why not just reach back out to him this morning in your heart and reconnect with Jesus put him back on the throne of your life and if you've never trusted in Jesus but this morning that's a step you want to take then why not 
give your life to him this morning. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Thank him for dying for you on the cross and ask him to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray and then the band are going to lead us in one final song. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow at your feet this morning and worship you as God. You are the eternal one, the self-existent one, the one who created all things, the one who, who upholds everything this morning. This planet keeps rotating because you command it to do so. We worship you. We thank you that you created the angels. Thank you that they serve us, unseen around us, but they serve those who love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for yourself this morning that you gave yourself. You became a human being. You became flesh and blood. You lived the perfect life. You died the perfect death. You rose again from death and conquered it. And now you're seated at the right hand of God. Now you are once again acknowledged as God, Father, Son, and Spirit together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would worship you and you alone that we would put you on the throne of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.